Uh, I mean, look at like Seek One guys in Birmingham and Atlanta. Like, I don't know if they're saw, into 200 inches, but they're into some giants. I saw a dude the other day at uh, First Watch. We went to breakfast. Yeah. Had a Seek One shirt Seek on. One shirt. We, we locked eyes. I had my white shirt on. I said, I see you. I see you. I see you. My brother. <laughs> I see you, my brother. <laughs> Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50 pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer, and that's since escalated to these 40 or 60. Uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back hey on our podcast episode 88 Mm. october i wish you know the best thing about podcasting is like amidst all of like the uh frustrations and Mm -hmm. uh of everyday life well just you know in real estate you know there's a lot of problems come up you know and so it's it's basically our job to to resolve those Mm -hmm. and uh that's great and you know we're you know we're we're learning a lot but it's it's nice to have like just a calm place that we can come and I mean, I know our phones are sitting here, but yeah, not try, we can to, try to neglect it as much as possible. At least for an hour or so. For an hour or so and, and mm-hmm. just talk to your... Yeah, it's, uh, well, that's kind of the whole point of how we started this thing was just we needed an hour of escape to just be like, hey, let's just talk to you for a while. Yeah. So yeah, it is uh, August 11th today. Uh, I don't know when you're listening to this. I think it's still August. It'll come out the 23rd. 23rd. It'll come out the 23rd. You'll, <laughs> your mom will come out the 23rd. <laughs> Uh, all right, so it's end of August. So, like, if if you're hunting, oh, I guess it would be Tennessee. You got like a Tennessee velvet season probably like this weekend coming up. If you're listening to this, really, is that yeah, it? it's September like August twenty fifth or twenty sixth or something. Wow. And then uh, if you're Kentucky, you're about ooh, two weeks away uh, from opening day of Kentucky. So yeah, I was just checking the forecast here. It's, it, it's gonna be like seventy some degrees for the next ten days. Yeah, very nice. I know Kentucky got rain yesterday again. A little bit of like you know, showers in the forecast, I guess, but not for the next three days. So I'm heading up to the farm uh, Friday evening. I try to do some glass, and in fact, per some recent uh, information, I, I may actually try to sit on a few fields. I try to see that A point. Sure. And, um, That'd be Friday night. And then Saturday, I'm going to just do as much work as I can, getting some trees trimmed out, getting some cameras moved around, mm-hmm. and uh, box blind, chairs built, and uh, blind kits, you know, put put out and everything like that. And then, so it turns out, I think my sister's coming back into town Sunday. Mm-hmm. So Margie's going to drive up after work on Saturday. And so I'm going to stay for Sunday, too. There you go. So I got three, like two and a half full days. It's coming fast, well, Dude, I'm going to get eyes <laughs> on quite a few bucks over that. Yeah, I mean, at least I was just looking, too. It looks like, yeah, not as much rain here in the 10-day as we've previously had in the 10 days, but it's only going to be, like, highs in the upper 70s. So it's not like our plots are going to cl- uh, cook or anything like that. Well, I mean, that's... Frankly, after our conversation with uh, Don Higgins, that's, like, the least of my concerns. I'm, I'm kind of hoping for some drought. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> like, let's sorry, let's slow these well, puppies down. I got them in pretty early. So uh, did, did you see, by the way, did you see a couple guys commenting saying they've cut they Nebraska's mowed. and it worked pretty well? It did stunt the bulb growth. Sure. Yep. Which is what we thought. That's why I said, though, if you can plant them early. Sure. And then mow them. And then mow them high. Mm-hmm. He said the, the, the leaves will regrow and mm-hmm. be attractive, and then you can still get stuff underneath of them. I'm mm. pretty turned on by that plan. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, we had a lot don't of discussions Don't let me forget to go that. to Rural... I'm sorry if I interrupted yeah. you. For, don't let me forget to go to Rural King after this and get some oats. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to plant... So I'll be gone next week, the week after. I'll go and check all my plots here in Pennsylvania. And then Kentucky, I'll be there for the opener. That would be when I put oats down. How I, haven't about, got, I haven't got a chance to spray. I want to spray those beans with Boost and Gly. 
I am I probably won't get a chance to do that until the last week of August. Yeah. And then I'm I've been holding off. I haven't put any corn out anywhere. Me neither. That's because it costs twenty six dollars a bag. That's true. But I'm going to I'm like the three or four days up right before the opening <clears throat> day at Kentucky. Well, dude, I'm gonna miss opening day in Ohio. I'm gonna, I'll still be on that elk hunt. So I'll probably mm-hmm. Which is fine. I, I'm gonna yeah. Dale and Dale and Brian. Uh, will they'll be, hold down the fort. They'll hold down the fort. I'll just try to give them every bit of information I can to schmacking three year olds. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever they want to do, you know, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, it'll be. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I'm gonna put. I'm gonna have everything ready to go. Kentucky. I've got the lease that we have in Kentucky. There's at least one stud on. Um, I need to go and set some cameras up and probably get some corn out there the last week of August, right before the opener. Just see what pulls in. Um, they they've really started to tail off on my minerals lately, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not seeing nearly it. Like they'll show up maybe once every week or so, but like I'm not. It was every day. Yeah. They've tailed off a lot. We should mention uh, if anybody out there has a, a, a whatever you would call it, like a, a feed company or an attracting company. Mm-hmm. We want to partner with you. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're looking at dropping a lot of money on uh, on corn this year that I would far prefer to. Well, it was crazy, Work man. with a good, you know, brand to, to put some, we went, some actual feed out. I went know? to the co-op, and I think it was like ten fifty a bag for corn. And then I was like, oh, you know, I'm sure Rural King's like, it was the same price. $10. Yeah, it was 10 bucks a bag. What is it usually at Rural King? Six? No, usually it's high at Rural King. It's usually eight or nine at Rural King, but you could get it at a co-op for like six or five. Yeah. 10 bucks, <clears throat> 10 50 I haven't got a price yet from my guy. Well, that's why I'm trying to, I mean, I'm also trying to not provide corn, 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 and then season opens and they're like, yeah, we know it's going to be there. Agreed. Hit them, hit them hard with it out of the gate. Solid that's that's right. the way to do it, man. I, we've abused corn in the past and just having it mm-hmm. out too much. because Corn abuse. Yeah. Yeah. If you watch TikTok, that's equal to porn, right? Corn corn equals porn. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how that that works. Uh, well, but, but yeah, what you're saying is we've had it out for for too long. I mean, it's too expensive. It it, it alters the deer pattern in, in a weird way, and so I think you and I have both kind of like uh, let's break it down a little bit. Let's break it down a little bit because I think people who are let's even say from our state, Pennsylvania, are like Jesus, man. If I could go put corn out, I'd kill every buck in the you know the area. It, partially true. Partially true. Um, partially not true and that it, it's not as easy as you would think um yeah, it's not easy and, and and i say that mainly because like if they're in the area and you put corn out and they find it those first three days or so or that's when you need to be able to kill them if you put corn out consistently or feed and that's what a lot of us do like we're feeding all summer or whatever um it it's not any better come opening day to have food out yeah uh, in my experience, like the absolute best way to kill a deer over corn is to just know that he's in an area first of all. Like, mm-hmm. so don't have been using corn to like sure. monitor his activity. Just know that he's, know there. he's there. Yep. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of ways to to do that. Whether it's just through you know scouting from the road or uh, just from years prior trail camera yep. from it. Just if you know he's in the area, um, and in my opinion, the most important uh thing when it comes to killing a deer over any kind of a, a bait pile is is the setup itself yeah you have to within that area that the bucks live in you have to have the perfect spot that can mm-hmm. be accessed um you know and gives the deer the advantage as much as possible well and i think that's where people get overconfident it's like oh i got a corn pile out you just stroll into your stand and expect to kill them that's deer still playing the wind coming to that hundred percent he will come down and so that's the problem with a corn pile as opposed to just natural <laughs> movement is you're giving that deer something to get downwind of sure you know in just like a natural movement type of a scenario you can say well there's a, a bedding area that he's trying mm-hmm. to be downwind or there's this or there's that but wh- when you put a corn pile out or something like a definitive even a food plot sure that deer is going to he knows it's there it's like a it's a point of interest mm-hmm. and he's going to get which is why it. I like that element of surprise. Like if you if you put it out, like don't put it out the night before because there's a chance he doesn't find it yet. But like you put it out two, three, four days before, 
and he finds it, like there's still an element of surprise there that he, it's he tough. shows up, he shows up, he shows up. Planning it for opening day is really tough because what it comes down to is most likely he'll find it at, in, at dark. In 48 hours, yep. Regardless of the time frame it takes for him to find it, it'll be at night. Yeah, when more than likely. Active. More than mm-hmm. likely. The trick is being able to go in and hunt it the next day. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the most opportunities or even close calls that I've had with mature bucks on corn piles have been when they found it overnight mm-hmm. and I was in there the next evening. I talked to a guy last year about it in Kentucky and it was it was interesting his take because he's killed some pretty big bucks. <clears throat> he basically said that when he put it out, like he would, same thing, he would see that buck show up at night or whatever. He would actually hunt the deer's movement more than the bait. So like knowing the deer yeah. is coming to the bait pal, where is he betting and getting in between and still playing that win, but not trying. Cause I mean the, the gut instinct of us, if you dump a corn pile out is I need it visible. So when he comes to the corn pile, I shoot him. Yeah. He basically uses that as I know he's going there. How do I get in between him and try to harvest him in you know, semi-natural well, movement. It just requires more information. So to do that, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, you know, a lot of guys have heard like the uh, spoke on a wheel mm-hmm. t- type of uh, analogy. Mm-hmm. And so that applies to a corn pile because it's a, po- a point of interest. Basically, that movement is concentrated at, sure. at that point and out from there, it's less concentrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, t- to do that, you have to know where they're coming f- from. Mm-hmm. And so the same hub and wheel uh, principle applies to a, a bed. If you're, if you're hunting a bed, that activity is also concentrated there. And so yep. you've got these points of interest and then spokes on the wheel going out from that, mm-hmm. the trick in killing one in your guy's scenario there is having a very intimate knowledge of both points of destination and being able to set up. Well, and it's no, I, I mean, you know, the, the thing about a bait pile is like you're concentrating them on there, but especially as we, if we're talking about opening day, which we're kind of referring to here, doesn't matter if it's a soybean field of, of green soybeans or if it's a small secluded clover food plot, like whatever it is, like, there's a destination that that deer is coming to. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying that a bait pile isn't an advantage because in certain cases it definitely is, but it definitely is. it's, it's figuring out what is that deer is going to something, right? The, the two, three, four days up to opening day, that deer is getting out of his bed. He's going somewhere. There's a, a purpose mission in mind to go to something to eat and then to come back. You just have to identify whatever that is. Yeah. You know, and sometimes even with a corn pile, he still may be going out to a bean field and that's where he's going to spend most of his time, but he's going to stop by that corn pile. He's going to swing by it on the way out. Um, you just have to understand what that movement's going to look like. And then you have a better chance of, of actually setting up and, and being able to kill that deer in the first week of the season. Yeah. Well, the advantage and in, in understandably why some people feel it's an unfair advantage that corn piles, food plots, you know, f- frankly, anything that concentrates movement gives to a hunter is that you're taking advantage of that fact that, the, you know, a buck has a certain activity in mind, whether mm-hmm. it's eat, rut, you know, bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it concentrates that way, that movement in a way that's able to be taken advantage of by, sure. by a hunter, you know. And so, so I get why corn piles would be illegal because it definitely concentrates. 100%. You know, that doesn't mean that they're easily killed on those. No, but they're there at some point. Yeah. Usually and, and, and food plots are the same thing. You know, it's, it's a, there's a reason you call them kill plots is it's like it's a, it's a, it's a more concentrated area. You know, we're, we're trying to take that fact that the buck wants to eat and condense that to, a, you know, a, a bow range. 100%. Well, and that's where, <laughs> like, I think as you approach this, this kind of opening day, especially, and it's going to change, like, Kentucky opening day is a hell of a lot different than Ohio or Pennsylvania opening day, which is three, four weeks later, right? Because of the deer behavior change and everything that's happening in between, you know, but at least these early seasons, you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, wherever Mississippi's got a velvet season in September, I think this year, like you have a chance to kill a deer on a summer pattern. You're not going to get an easier chance than probably the late, late season when he's back on that bed food, bed food pattern. This is, this is as easy as it's going to get yeah. um, in terms of being able to pattern that deer is because he's still in summer. In the upcoming two, three weeks, 
he's going to change that pattern. Yeah. He's going to break it. You know, and that's usually what happens. Anybody that's listening to this that says, well, I don't hunt till last week of September or first week of October because that's when my season opens. Yeah, the pattern's changed. I mean, dude, it's it, it's funny. It, it, it puts a lot of pressure on the situation because you know how high the odds are. Mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, dude, if, you, if you've got a buck on a food source pattern and you can condense that movement further with a bait pile and you know and then you use that method that i described mm-hmm. earlier is you put the camera or you put the corn out you monitor it with cameras um yep the buck is going to be there mm-hmm. uh, like 100% and and i believe that if it's you know he finds it overnight mm-hmm. he'll be there probably multiple times throughout the night 100%. The next day, he will be there in daylight. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, the the weather, you know, permits and, and the wind permits, I mean, your, your odds of killing that deer in that situation are very good. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it, and, you know, I say that in comparison to, like, <clears throat> let's take Kansas. Like, we check cameras in Kansas, and, like, there are bucks using an area that you're going to be hunting on public land a lot. Um, you know, and they were just, it was natural movement through there. Since we put that camera up there, nothing. No bucks. At all, they Which, have. Where are you talking? Which one? At the ants, they've shifted their movement. Oh yeah, you know, to a, a different food source. You know, to what they were in basically May, June, early July. Um, now, at some point, they'll switch back. We know they will, and that's why we have that camera set up there. But like, if you're in Kansas preparing to hunt, you know, the opener, uh, whatever that is, September fifteenth or something, then you know what you were seeing in May, June, July now has shifted a little bit and it's going to shift back. Like it's a small window to, to be able to capitalize on these summer patterns during a season, if at all, you know, I would say in Ohio, maybe, maybe you're still able to capitalize on some of those summer patterns when the opener hits Pennsylvania, probably not. By the time you get to the first of October, that, that summer pattern is dead in the water. I think, I mean, it, it depends on the food source, I guess. Mm-hmm. That'd be the main thing. But it, it seems like almost every year we, we've got opportunities at early season patterns. But, you know, it lasts, what, 48 hours? No, longer. I mean, Does I it? Yeah, I don't think that those bucks really start to transition into their fall, uh, you know, areas until like mid, like October 15th through the 20th is when we yeah, see but most the, of that. the pattern gets weaker. It does. I, it just gets a little more sparse because I think they I think they break up from their groups yes. like around September first when they shed antlers. Mm-hmm. But I think they're still fairly tied to those food sources. They're mm-hmm. just maybe a little bit more um, not as friendly about how they're using them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, you're not going to see a bachelor group of five bucks pour into the field on September 25th. Yeah, they're definitely so. If you put a corn pile out on October first, October first through the 15th, they you will see multiple bucks, likely the same ones that were in that field during the summer mm-hmm. using it but they're definitely more agitated with one another. Sure. You know, and then the 15th through the 25th, you'll start to see new bucks show up <laughs> or those ones will have left, you know, and you're starting to transition into like a, that, that, mm-hmm. that pre-rut phase and, you know, they're more tied to, to, to bedding areas and they've, they're moving into more rut ranges. Yep. Well, and I'm sure there's people listening to this that, you know, that's what they hunt over all year long. They pow and I'm sure they're successful. <clears throat> it definitely is early, early, early season and late, late season when they're the most effective. That in between is tough. And late November. Yeah. When they're coming off of. Well, what? when they're still following does mm-hmm. and they're getting desperate. Yeah. Cause the does will hit that thing. Yep. Frequently. Yep. I, I've, you know, I've had a lot of opportunities. It's funny because I thought this is what I thought of earlier when you're talking about not hunting the corn pile. Mm-hmm. There's been enough times where I kicked myself for not being able to shoot that corn pile mm-hmm. that I'm like, eh, you yeah. probably want to be on that corn. You pile. probably want to be on it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and that's where I think like, you know, there becomes a dependability on it. Cause I mean, there's other places like our lease last year in Ohio, given that wasn't the only reason we weren't seeing deer, you know, ultimately we, we dump, you know, corn out there frequently and like, we probably would have never been able to kill a daylight buck. Mm-hmm. Like it just, they weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it still has to do with placement. I mean, it has to be convenient for them to get mm-hmm. to. They have to feel safe coming into, I mean, in that case, it was kind of out in the in open. A field and in, the, in yep. the open and, um, tr- you know, conversely or. Yeah, that sounds right. Reversely, traversely. There was uh, you remember that buck that I tried to hunt. Parsley? Opening weekend last year. 
was yes. way back on that knob. Yep. Buck had no problem. Every day at like 3.30, he's mm-hmm. out there, you know, and it just- And what all, ended up happening there? You thought the wind? Yeah, I just think the the wind was just, I mean, I took a risk mm-hmm. and it, it was just a little bit too much in his favor. And so he, and he disappeared after that. He was gone. Blew it. Well, and, the, and it, the corn pile didn't go anywhere. It was still there. He just didn't go anywhere. Well, he figured out I was in there and mm-hmm. then that was enough. And that's where I think it, it is crazy when, when you look at it, it's not- it Worked out. I shot a boon or so. Yeah, it did. It's not, the sil- <laughs> it's not a silver bullet. You can't, I mean, it, it surely is going to help you in certain areas, you know, it, but it's not going to be like an instant kill every time that you do it. Um, no, it's not. But, but I mean, there- you think it increases your opportunity every time? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Well, I mean, frankly, that's, I think that, uh, a lot of three-year-olds get killed off of corn piles 100%. because they're, you know, they're not as savvy to, you know, how to approach something like that. They'll kind of, you know, they're just not as smart as a four or five, six-year-old buck, you know? And so the chances of them kind of waltzing in, especially if you're sitting 80 yards away with a muzzle odor, yeah, I mean, that thing's dead. As oh, good as 100%. dead. So a lot of three-year-olds, you know, and some and some four-year-olds and stuff, and especially younger. Well, get, I think that goes back killed. to the Ohio discussion that we had. Well, which, that's where I'm— Which is like, yeah. if you if you take away baiting in the state of Ohio, and I don't think it's—you'll protect those older bucks as much as you protect those really good three-year-olds yeah. that then can make it to four or five, and that's how you create— you know, make Ohio probably the best state in the country for whitetails. Agreed. Yeah, I mean— those three-year-olds are just dumb like they Mm -hmm. just uh they'll get up and (laughs) yeah they they do like what you would hope that a mature buck would do it's like look at him he's just walking right across the field he's ripping up a scrape over there they're just dumb yeah they're smarter than a two-year-old smarter than a two-year-old enough testosterone to make them vulnerable yeah you know they're very vulnerable at three yeah and i think that's probably what most of those deer and two-year-olds i mean if you're if you're killing two-year-olds in ohio like you're killing it on a corn pile for sure or it could be done easily yeah yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, I think that's the, that's where it comes down is like what, you know, in every state there are changes that I don't know. I mean, it definitely enhances the opportunity, but I don't think it is as impactful in the state of Kansas as it is in Ohio, mainly because there's just more deer room in Kansas. Now I do think that it, it affects them the same way. Like I'm sure a lot of people kill three-year-olds in Kansas on a corn pile. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that it's as impactful on the herd overall as Ohio having corn piles is. Agreed. Yeah. So, well, there's just more, you know, there's more, more hunters room. on smaller tracts of yep. land in Ohio. So that's only exaggerated by the corn pile. You know, 100%. Being. I mean, it's very funny. Dude, for a long time, you know, people were just, uh, when well, I say that because you now talk about Kansas and Ohio, which are two really good deer states and allow baiting. Yeah, for sure. Um, what I was going to say is it's like for the longest time and, and even now I think people are really like will skirt around the like they don't want to mm-hmm. admit that they're baiting you know because it was very it was a very uh it's controversial controversial thing yeah you know and, and so I think you and I are both kind of across the board e- even as it relates to corn piles to crossbows mm-hmm. to whatever it is mm-hmm. uh we're in favor of if it's legal you know use, use it to it. your advantage yeah i think we have issue with how some of the the laws are defined especially for sure with crossbows but i i think even though we use corn piles mm-hmm. you and i see the advantage as it relates to growing a a, a better mm-hmm. uh, age structure deer herd in in, in eliminating those oh 100 i mean if it, if somebody asked me in ohio or kentucky where it's legal and where we hunt or even kansas like Hey, we want to get rid of baiting. What do you think? Fine, do it. Yeah, and and I don't know. Maybe even <laughs> to get more nuanced than that, and per what you're saying with the Kansas thing is, I would be more in favor of banning baiting in Ohio and other states where it greatly affects the age structure than in Kansas, Kansas or states where I feel like it doesn't really. No, I mean again, some deer, some three year olds, two year olds, if they shoot them, die at corn piles in Kansas. We know that for a fact. But not to the level. There's still plenty of eight, nine, ten year olds running around. Not to the level of the effect that it has on the state of Ohio or Kentucky, even. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I would agree with that. You know, and and I don't necessarily think like in Ohio, where if you take away corn piles and you take away baiting, I think you do dramatically increase the quality of bucks in that state. If you take them away from Kansas, I don't know if you're gonna see like physically see a big difference. Yeah. Um. I agree. You know, I it. 
it, the hard part about Kansas, and I mean, you know, obviously on public land, doesn't matter where you're at, you're not baiting and stuff, but like, you know, you just got to be in those funnels in the right place during the right time um, to, to kill those deer. Would it be harder for us to observe deer without corn piles in like a state like Kansas? Yes, for sure. Cause I mean, there's so much room for these deer to go and there's just good food everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of killing them, I mean, oh, I mean, we've killed a lot of deer in Kansas and very few of them have been over a corn pile, even though we use them. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's largely tied to the time that we're there, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Towards the rot. Early and late, you know, it would have a bigger impact, but just for sure. It's not there for that. So. Yeah. But I, I, I don't think it would, I think in Ohio and I think in Kentucky, you take baiting away in those two states and it makes a giant impact. Yeah. And you know, the unfortunate thing is like, it's the same, like assault rifle, you know, sit, situation, you know, where we the, we the legislators are like well let's take baiting away yes. you're still going to have outlaws out there baiting yeah um and so you kind of have that to deal with it's like what are you going to go take all the AR15s you know are you going to yeah. go out and make sure nobody's baiting because in that you case can. you don't have enough enforcement in it. both cases you're giving kind of a major advantage to um the outlaw yeah unless instead of hiring 87,000 IRS agents they hire 87,000 game wardens why don't we hire 80,000 corn agents very possible. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now, at least my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. hundred yeah, percent. And dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit. And most of them are under 200 bucks. Southcam.com. Check them out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that... And this is where it gets kind of sketchy on the, because it's legal, right? I don't think it is feasible for a state to pull it back. No? I I mean, think about Ohio, right? Ohio ultimately says, cool, we're going to, we're going to eliminate baiting. How do you pull back from something that's been legal for so long? How do you enforce yeah. it? Well, how do, how do I, you do anything? I mean, right. surely people get caught and they probably get made an example of, which would threaten most people. And there'll be some people like, you know, we would say, okay, cool. We're not going to bait anymore. But there are other people who are going to be like, screw it. It's been legal for how many years? Like, I'm going to keep doing it. Right. And how do you enforce it? Yeah. You know, and then it comes back to the discussion that we always have because people say, well, why do you guys bait? And it's like, well, my neighbors are baiting. These guys are baiting. If I don't bait, the deer are over here. At least my young bucks are over here. Right. And so it becomes yeah, tough. It's tough to come back from. Yeah. It's, it's a difficult thing that once you put that out there to pull back from, to be able to, to make sense of it. So, you know, I don't necessarily see that, you know, we had a discussion, I think actually Lauer, Mike Lauer started it or, or brought it up the other day. And I commented cause there was some bear in Northeast Pennsylvania that was like eating a dog or something oh, like yeah. that. And, you know, I am adamant that Pennsylvania should have a spring bear season. Mm-hmm. We're one of the few states that has black bear hunting that doesn't have it. We have a substantial population of them. And we've been looking for ways to make more money as a state. What better way than to have a spring bear tag that costs, you know, X dollars that is on top of your spring turkey tag? Because other than that, like, what else do I do in the spring? I I'd, hunt be, turkeys I'd be and that's into it. that, man. I'd be way into that, way more into that than I would be into turkey. Hunting, well, we're one, we're one of the few states that doesn't allow baiting for bears as well. Yeah, which makes it irrelevant to me. I'm not going to go try to kill a bear without bait. Like yeah. that doesn't make sense. I mean, that's, in the spring. Yeah, that's and that comes back to it's Any like, well, why why don't we do it? Like, why isn't why haven't we pulled that trigger? I mean, people go to Maine, they go to Canada, they go to Minnesota, Wisconsin. I don't know. to kill spring bears. I mean, it. You know, I assume the question is to the to the game commission. Do, what do you think? Well, I think it's because we haven't had substantial bear populations. Like we've had always had a huntable bear population, but in the last oh, yeah. probably ten years, it's substantially increased. You know, and now they've put new seasons in. Like the bear season for archery is expanded. There's a muzzleloader season now in the fall that's expanded. But 
you know, you're still talking about that fall time frame where you're basically without bait, you're trying to kill a bear that's got acres of acorns to eat, you know? And so that spring season is the one that becomes the one that you, you kind of question because in that early spring, they're, they're moving, they're looking for food. You know, it's not as readily available as it is in the fall. Um, you know, even if you did a limited number of tags, like a lottery, like why not? It, you'd raise money. I mean, we do it on the elk season all the time. Okay. Yeah. I'd be in favor of that. So, you know, but then it comes back to, okay, well now if I can bait for bears, why can't I bait for deer? You know, and, and is it even worth yeah. fighting? I mean, so many people have fought that for so long and, and let's put the like chronic wasting disease discussion out of the corner for a second. Like, is it worth fighting people, let's say in the state of Pennsylvania to not bait deer? Like, is it truly going to increase our harvest substantially? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. We do it in Ohio. We do it in Kentucky. We do it in Kansas. I know we've got more hunters. I think Michigan does it too, right? Can you go to like an apple stand on the way to like your rifle stand well, in Michigan and put I, bait out? I mean, I think you're trying to like, you know, they get where the game commission anyway should be trying to achieve some kind of balance between you know, first of all, like herd health, you mm-hmm. know, uh, f- you know, promise of future generations, See, but, that's... but also supply hunting opportunities. And it seems like per the harvest rate that ha- harvest opportunities are plentiful, if not overabundant. And that's from at least our discussions with them. That's what they care about. They just want opportunity, period. Yeah. But I don't think they're, I think they also realize that if the resource has gone completely, which something like no opportunity. corn pile, there's no opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, there is a line in the sand somewhere. Mm-hmm. And again, per what we just talked about, Ohio, you make it legal in a state like Pennsylvania or New York, you're not coming back from it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You know, but it, you know, it keeps going back and forth. Cause like, obviously, and uh, we probably have talked about it on past podcasts, like I've killed deer and got it um, and there's corn in the belly where there's no corn anywhere near me. Yeah. Like they're clearly people are baiting illegally in a lot of these states. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough manpower from a agency standpoint to find these people or to regulate that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, dude, probably a lot of it is even just people in their backyard, like people like seeing deer and stuff. And For so sure. they throw corn out and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know how just you just out here feeding the squirrels. Yes. Corn pile is for squirrels exclusively. Any deer seen eating a hundred percent. There shot. are plenty of people that do that out there. So, yeah. and again, I've done it. like, I know that the, yeah, I know that the, the battle there is like, you know, there's regulations are supposed to be even, I think, around like bird feeders, like to where like you can't be feeding bird feeders that like you know. deer are eating. Who's going to regulate that? Yeah. There's uh, not enough people for uh, it. It's tough. You know, and it and it comes back. I, I'm using that as a full circle here because we start talking about these different states. We got a lot of feedback on our 200 inch discussion that we had not too long ago. Yeah. And some cool feedback. I think people are starting to come in and talk about the because well, we don't know. Right. I mean, we're just out here talking about Not to be like, co- confused with the uh, five inch conversation that Nick yes, and I were having earlier. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Five and a half, depending on the roller. Yeah. Right. Right. Where do we start? Uh, Pope and Young or, or Ben and Crockett. Yeah. Yeah. It'll make book. Um, but like we're, you know, with those discussions, like, you know, I, I think somebody said like, you know, in, in poorer states, they're thinking like one per five to eight counties, one 200 inch gross deer per for five to eight in what counties. counties what states you said poor states like not kansas not ohio not uh, iowa sure yeah i mean that might be the case like and then thinking one per county in a good state like one oh, at least at least i mean did you go to i mean you look at some of the best states like in kansas i'm gonna guess we're back on it here we're right back <laughs> on it i mean dude there's there's probably at least Five to ten, two hundred inches per county in Kansas. You think so? Yeah, that's substantial. I know. I mean, that would probably break down to like one out of ten thousand in the county, one out of five thousand in the county, something yeah. like that. I mean, they're, dude, they're rare, but they're definitely out there. Oh, I know they like, are. We know lots of people. They're like, hey, check out this two hundred inch. Yeah, they just don't, you know. Yeah, I mean, most people aren't out there flashing 200 inches because they're trying to kill a 200 incher. Yeah, or five, five and a half inches, like we were talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah, yeah, it adds up. Yeah. Um, they're they're definitely out there though. I mean, we've 
they've seen quite a few. Of, I don't mm-hmm. know what well, we settled on. It was funny because when I listened to that podcast, mm-hmm. I forgot what I had guessed, mm-hmm. and I was like, I guessed again, and just in my head, and mm-hmm. it was exactly the same. The same. It was like one in every fifteen thousand or something mm-hmm. just, uh, across the state. Yeah, fifteen thousand bucks. Is that what we're saying? One in a, no, every, one in every fifteen thousand bucks is of two hundred. Is a two hundred incher. Which I mean, fifteen thousand bucks is a lot. It's a lot of bucks. It's a lot of bucks. Can't buy much with that nowadays with inflation. Seems like it's got to be way more than that. Well, yeah, I mean, because there's what a hundred and hundred twenty thousand bucks killed in Pennsylvania every year. Yeah. What would we say? Fifteen million bucks across the country, or yeah, nine million? Thirty million deer. Assume fifty-fifty. It's not 15, though. We said nine. We, we said, said nine. Nine million. Yeah. And then, so my guess of like 150 mm-hmm. came out to like one in every 15,000. 15,000. Yeah. So, and again, and again, that's average, but in a There's state- absolutely 150 booner or uh, 200 inches in the country right now. Has to be. Has to be. Now, what would be interesting is- let's Was that say, my guess? I don't even know if that's- I think that sounds right. Let's say there's 120,000 bucks killed in Pennsylvania. I think I guess way more. Right? That would mean that there should be at least eight bucks, eight, huh. 200 inches, which there's not. Every year. How many? What? 120,000 bucks are killed in the state of Pennsylvania every year. Yeah. That would mean that there would be about eight or nine 200 inchers killed every year in the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, How many are killed in Pennsylvania every year? Two, maybe. Two. Maybe. I mean, again, we don't know how many people, not to, to pick on the Amish, but they're not out there on social media flashing it. You know, I'm sure they're killing, people are killing 200 inch bucks. Sure. There was one posted the other day. It was killed out by, I don't know, Millersburg, Ohio or something. Clearly a 200-incher hit by a car. You know, so there's one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we know that there probably is w- another one in Columbus. I would assume that Columbus has many 200-inchers. I just got news that we appraised, so that's good. Oh! Some mitigation is needed, but... Okay. Um. So, yeah. So, I mean... Columbus area of Ohio, there's multiple 200 inches. Yeah, for sure. Like I know of two that were on a property together. I've never seen one on on our property. I've never seen one in person. I've seen at least one in the wild on in person. That was last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've seen <clears throat> one. Probably several 180s, 190s before that. Yeah. Um, we had somebody write us about was it Ohio public land? He was like, yeah, I've got multiple 200 <laughs> inches on camera. I'm like, what? I was like, uh, let's see. Send them over. Yeah. Send them over. So if you're listening to this, we don't have them yet. Yeah. Send them over. Well, and who, I mean, who Maybe. knows? There's, there's lots of, you know, sightings. <laughs> like, in, you know. Well, the city parks in some of these areas, uh, I mean, look at like Seek One guys in Birmingham and Atlanta. Like, I don't know if they're saw, into 200 inches, but they're into some giants. I saw a dude the other day at uh, First Watch. We went to breakfast. Yeah. I had a Seek One shirt Seek on. One shirt. We, we locked eyes. I had my white shirt on. I said, I see you. I see you. I see you. My brother. <laughs> I see you, my brother. Yeah. See that guy with the Matthews hat? Yeah. You know? um, but yeah, so like those guys probably are going to run into a 200-incher already at some point if they haven't. Yeah, if they haven't already. You know, so, I mean, they exist for sure. Nashville's another area that seems like it's been producing some giant bucks. Um, great music, too. Mm-hmm. Great music, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's for sure 200-inchers. I mean, if you took a... a a tab on every state that has whitetails, I would assume there's at least one 200 incher killed in every state every year, right? Florida is the one that I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I would say for every one that's killed, there's got to be 15 that haven't. You would think so. Yeah. You would think so. That's why they're 200 inches. They don't get killed. They don't get killed. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, Don's probably got five of them on camera. (laughs) Yeah, he's probably just bluffing us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... So yeah, I mean, I think that I think that as you get into this two hundred inch discussion, like it, they're rare, but they're not that rare. I mean, it's possible that you could see. They're one very this rare, year. but they're out there. Mm-hmm. They're they're definitely out. It's not like it's not like they're not there. But. I mean, if you would go out, if you would spend a week in Kansas, uh, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio, a week in each, just day, driving around, just driving around, yeah, you'd see some. You'd see some, one or two, at least. Yep, and you just got to be in the right places at the right time. They're out there. Yeah. I'm sure uh, people are listening to this saying, some bitch, those guys know that I have a 200 on camera. Uh, mm, we do. Uh, Where are you at again? Uh, I got you. <laughs> 
The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably shooting crossbows. <laughs> or, or a Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> One in the same. Yeah. But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows, I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, th- th- especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I-, I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for, for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 uh, in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a sea four of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, pr- proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and uh, you know, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. Well, just because we're limited on time here, but let's change it up a little bit. Okay. So we bought some new gear. We did buy. Can we talk new about gear. that. Yeah, let's talk. No about affiliation, it. no partnership, but uh, we went out and bought Sitka. We're we're pretty. Um, I mean, anything that we do. I mean, it's probably why we're Hoyt guys. Why we use Muddy and Hawk blinds. Like we're we're pretty particular about the equipment we use. Mm-hmm. Um, and and disclaimer, we have some relationships with some of these guys. Um, you know, we had been using Predator for what. Couple five years. years, four yeah. or five years. Yeah. Uh, and I like Predator gear. Sure. I love their pattern. I Me still too. think it's probably one of the best patterns on the market. Agreed. Um, the apparel started to drift and, and we just, companies just not doing much. Well, the apparel was shit for a long time. Like the original Predator stuff was no good. It Correct. was a good pattern, but the, the it was like... It, it was around the time we bought, we got into them, which was 2018 or 19, that they started, I think Chris, the, one of the owners, started making better apparel. Yeah. And it was good. It was great. It was some of the best stuff, soft shell type stuff. I mean, it was right. really It was nice. much better than the original stuff. 100%. And it was enough that, uh, so so we just ran into them like at an ATA show yep. and we're like, hey, can we, we like this stuff, you know, can we, we'll get mm-hmm. some. And so she, she gave us some discounted whatever. Yep. And uh, so we, yeah, we wore that for a while and it, uh, it was pretty good. But I think ultimately what, uh, I think what, what pushed me to look for maybe something better or, yep. or more uh is the is the early season stuff yeah um they're just i don't think predator has <clears throat> we've any. got one set of it and it's real lightweight um yeah there's just not very 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 many good options like in the predator lineup for mule deer hunting or elk hunting i mean it's they have some green patterns and stuff but it's just not the greatest gear we really had put a lot of that stuff to the test and frankly we kind of bailed out from it um when we started doing the dakota mule deer hunts you know, yeah. we ended up I going my to cool pants and t-shirts. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. We ended up deferring back to like cool pants and t-shirts. Um, K-U-H-L. Yes, cool though. Um, but yeah, it, so we and it was because like I don't know that gear just it wasn't right. Didn't feel right. Like it was kind of light and flimsy. We're going through some you know thicker stuff, whether it's sagebrush or some of the cactus areas and stuff. And so yeah, we just you know, and I've used it for turkey season in the past. Um, I use it on my early season hunts, but like the Kentucky hunt, which I'm actually taking serious this year in the early season, like that's one where I'm like, gotta have some gear. I need good gear for this. Well, and like, so full disclosure, so Jeremy and I are Whitetail Properties real estate agents. And so we get a a discount on the, on the sick, on the sickest stuff because they have a partnership. Mm -hmm. And so it it wasn't as much like, you know, like we want to save money too. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like there's other top tier, you know, you know, Kuyu's still out there making great stuff. Sure. You know, I think uh, some of the first, first light, light stuff is, mm-hmm. is pretty good. Um, yeah, and transparently, I've I've made fun of these people in the past because I'm just like, oh, oh yeah, sick of guys. Oh yeah, come on. Well, and I think we still feel that way. It's like, uh, do yeah. we are we really want to succumb to that? You know? Yeah. I just want good gear. That's all I care about. Right. I I still I will openly say I'm not a fan. I'm not a huge fan of the pattern. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very, it's a digital looking. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's not going to work, right? I mean, plenty of people kill kill bucks and sick a year. Um, but if I had a choice, I'd have the predator pattern yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, but in terms of the quality of apparel, it's phenomenal. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think that that just trumps uh, the pattern every day. I, I just, I know, I've told you earlier, I've killed deer in white V-necks. Like, I, you know, I don't think that the pattern matters to the deer sure. as much as it is just like a, you know, marketing tool, make make hunters happy. Yeah. I mean, it goes back. And I, again, there's been research done on some of this stuff. Like I saw, you see Higgins post the other day on his, uh, I don't know, Instagram or whatever. He's like, you know, he's got the Tiger Woods, John Daly meme. And it's like him, mm-hmm. you know, playing the wind and killing giants and like all the people in like the scent elimination. Yeah. Yeah. Which is 
very true. Uh, I do think the pattern matters somewhat. Yeah, um, it, it, no doubt. No doubt. But I don't know. Not as much as the quality of the gear, though. Correct. In yeah. terms of just usability. Yep. Enjoyment exactly. of the garment. Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's something that we're going to try out this year, and we may like it. We may not. I don't know. Well, I love it. I've, I mean, I've already tried it all sure. on. It's, it's washed. It's ready to go. Yep. I was pleasantly surprised when we got the stuff. I mean, I think it's... Uh, you know, I've been wearing, you know, different sets of camo for enough years now to know what's what's good gear and what isn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think it's very good stuff. So, yeah, I'm still I mean, I'm still rocking. I got my Kuyu frame pack. That's what I, I take mm-hmm. to the gym with me every day. And yeah, which is a great pack. It's a great pack. And, still use uh, our Tenzig lumbar packs yep, for our still, day packs. I still like that a lot. I mean, I just rock muck boots. I bought a new pair of like keen mm-hmm. hiking boots for my elk hunt here. Mm hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we, we've got no affiliation at this moment to, to Sitka or anything like that. Frankly, we got a discount through Whitetail Properties. We've known that it's it's very good stuff. Sure. And uh, so so we bought some. Yeah, I'll be, I'm excited to use it this year and just, you know. I bought a lot of it. You bought, you bought <laughs> way more than I did. I, it'll be nice just to have, like, again, it... Anybody knows this, like, and no knock to them, but like, I remember back in the day, I think we, we all wore scent lock or something yeah. and did like my crotch was like at my knees, like it just didn't fit right. And yeah, um, stuff is trash. well, and it's, that's, that is what I'm trying to avoid. Like, I want to be comfortable walking into a stand. I want to feel good. I want to be, feel good in the stand. Yeah. I want to layer correctly. Like those are the things that really matter at the end of the day. And so, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just got to try new stuff. I'm still not. Um, I still have all my predator stuff and I'll, you know, if for some reason I don't like my Sitka stuff, that's what I'll dive back to. But yeah. I would assume, I mean, it's great made apparel. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I, I've got Kuyu stuff. I've got, I don't have any first light stuff. Um, yeah, it's just being comfortable in the stand, man. I'm feeling good about it. Yeah, dude. I'll tell you what, man, when it comes to like hunting stuff, I can't get my credit card out fast enough. And that's because... I mean, this is the this is the stuff that we're dreaming about all mm-hmm. season, and mm-hmm. it comes down to in some cases a few days, a few hunts, you know, at, at very most, a couple weeks or, or you know months for if you're looking at the full season. Yep, you owe it to yourself to like have an enjoyable experience. Like mm-hmm. you know, don't sell yourself short by dreaming about deer season the whole year and then you know having a crap bow, having a crap. And I understand you know finances are well, yeah. a limitation, so sure. don't. Don't stretch yourself thin trying to have a good time, but, you know. Well, you want to do it right. I mean, it's the same thing with, like, food plots and stuff. I mean, you know, the effort you put in the summer is what's going to pay off in the fall. You know, same with your shooting. Like, if you're not shooting your bow, it's not going to pay off this fall. (laughs) Like, you know, whatever you do, you know, just make sure that we we talk about it all the time, and the season goes so fast. And, like, ultimately – you know, if you're not prepared for it or you're kind of slacking here, it'll blow by you before you know it, mm-hmm. you know, and then that's when you have regrets of like, man, I wish I would have did this, I, you know, and frankly, maybe you would have if, if you were more prepared and we get caught up in that because we got everyday life with family and jobs 100%. and stuff, but you know, it, it's try as much. And I mean, it's coming fast, dude. Again, by the time you're listening to this, I might be hunting in Kentucky in 10 days or something. <laughs> it's like, it, it comes so fast that you're just. You I'm going to come. Be. I'm going to come. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just, you know, try to be as prepared as possible. I think having good gear and investing in good gear, like we don't want to change bows every year. We don't want to change gear every year. We want to find the stuff that works for us, and that's what we're going to go with. So. No doubt. Well, and dude, there's a lot of trash out there, frankly. Um, yep, there you know, is. Just try to steer clear of. It goes back to our conversation on these whole, like, niche groups and what people get behind. And, like, you know, I think some of it's inclusion. Like, some of them you know, no knock to a sick guy or cute. Somebody, some people want to just wear that stuff. So they're, they're like part of the group. That's not me. I want good gear. Yeah. I don't care if I'm part of the group or not. Um, you know, same with our bows. Like we truly love shooting Hoyt bows. Yeah. We've, we've, we've shot Matthews. We've shot PS. We've shot other bows in the past. Like we love our Hoyt bows, period. It's, it's, the, not, the uh, bow, it's not to be the part bow of the thing is an interesting one, dude. Cause I, I've seen people like endorse, you know, or get behind, I'll just start out there. Bear, bear bows that I know from firsthand experience are shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I've shot them. I know. Sure. I've killed deer with them. Yeah. You know, they'll kill a like deer. It was like 300 bucks when I first started. I remember buying like a Fred Bear element bow. Like it was a compound yeah. $300 bow and I killed plenty. Of yeah. Deer and I, d- I shouldn't just throw bear under the bus. There are a few other sure. company. I mean, th- there's a few other that j- they, they just, you know, they're not Hoyter Matthews, frankly. Mm-hmm. 
that just aren't the best bow, but the, and mm-hmm. they claim to be. Yeah, I mean, I've and they killed, have to. I mean, that's how you market yourself. I've killed deer with bear. I've killed deer with bowtack. I've killed deer with Matthews. I've killed deer with all. The, all of them will kill deer. It's mm-hmm. not a question Fine. of will they or will they not kill deer. It's just ultimately, what do you want to invest and fill? I mean, that that bow should be an extension of your body by the time you yeah, get to see. There is a difference <laughs> in quality, you know, across those brands and stuff, though. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and again, it's economic. Like you can't go out and buy a new. $1,500 Hoyt carbon bow every year, you yeah. know, but you, you know, you work up to it and there'll be people, I mean, shit up until a few years ago, I might have a shooting a wooden compound with fig- fingers still. It's like a hundred percent. Yeah. You can kill a deer with that. There's nothing wrong with shooting any of those bows either. Sure. I got, I guess I don't know how I got kind of down. Well, it's, it's, we're just talking, it's talking about in terms of quality of gear, there's lots of brands that claim to be the best that just aren't. Well, and this is where the industry rubs me the wrong way because there are people in the industry who just buy things or wear things or use things because they just want to be quote part of the industry and part of the group. Mm. And I freaking hate it more than anything. Or because they're just, they're paying them. And most of them aren't. Well, let's not spiral back down that. Most of them are getting. That is the reality. A lot. Well, some of these top, top names are just, you know, they're promoting a brand because mm-hmm. they're getting paid, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not their fault necessarily. That's, they're running that's a business, the, though. That's the way that the industry is set up. Has, they're running a business, not hunting because it's a passion. There's a difference. Yeah, and it's, there's overlap in some cases. There I'm is. sure. You it's know, a it's, dangerous situation. It's gray area. Yeah, it's weird. But, so I get it. If you're running a business, you have to make money. You got to find those people that are going to do that. That said, like, there are other people who are just... Like, I just want to wear Sitka because I want to be part of the Sitka group, or I want to shoot Matthews because I want to be part of the Matthews group. If if that's, like, what really works for you and that feels great, like, awesome. But don't do it just because, you like, you think you're going to be part of something because yeah. you're not. Like, part of a pro staff for half of these groups, no offense, it's a joke. It's a joke. I know. You're not it, part of a pro staff. Like, you're paying. It's very weird. You're getting a 30% it's discount. Funny. That manufacturer is still making bank on you. And you think you're part of a person. I meet people all the time that are like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm on the whatever team mm-hmm. or this and that. And I'm like, oh, like, re- like you work for them? And they're like, well, no, like I'm, I'm on a pro staff. I'm like, oh, okay. That pro staff might be one of the l- biggest, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say conspiracy. What's the word I'm looking at? Like pyramid scheme type things that has ever existed in the hunting industry. Well, it just lost its meaning. It used to be like if you were on like pro staff, when when we talked with Bill and Tyler, like if you were on Bill Jordan's original real tree pro staff, like David Blanton, Michael Waddell, like you were those guys, you meant something. Yeah. Now anybody can be on any pro staff because you they get just a, dish it out like it's willy nilly. Yeah, you get a discount and they still make a profit on you. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I'm not saying like I don't want to say that to hurt people's feelings, but like call it what it is like a pro staff is just a discounted buyer yeah that's all it is yeah cheap labor free con <laughs> free content <laughs> am i digging too deep on it now <laughs> yeah well, i mean you're not wrong speaking of what does anybody want to be on the hunter pro staff no i'm just kidding yeah <laughs> i'm yeah. just kidding yeah you don't want to be on our pro staff <laughs> all right dude i'm starving okay we're gonna go and wrap up uh we will have ben rising on this afternoon yeah short and sweet one today we just wanted to jump on yep and so run through some Stiff. Next week will be Ben Rising. If you haven't come back and listen to Bill and Tyler and Don Higgins and Mark Drury, like those are some really good ones that are in the archive here. And yeah, hope we don't hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> you know, we we love all you guys. I mean, it's not we're not here to judge anybody no. for using any different type of gear or it, it is fun to to you know ingest. Uh, oh yeah, you like to poke at the. Competitors. I like to poke at it. It's fun. It's just what we do. I did mean what I said about pro staff though. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, sorry if I hurt your feelings. <laughs> but, All right. Uh, we'll see you next time. Later. It's take me. It's take me.